Welcome to Love Games. We're here to shine new light on the games you love and the love in your games. I'm Lucy Morris. And I'm Lauren Clinic. And welcome to episode 12 of Love Games. It's been a while. Woohoo! Had a little break. (laughs) I missed you too. I missed you too. And I miss the listeners, but they're still tweeting us really cute things. I know. Thank you so much. Uh, We live for your comments, so keep tweeting at us (laughs) and we'll keep sending you purple love hearts back. Uh, As you know, we usually start our episodes by talking a little bit about what candle and what drink we have because, I don't know, we're very aesthetic nerds maybe. (laughs) We've been thinking about naming this recurring segment to something. My suggestion was Cuddle Corner and Lauren's suggestion was Sniff and Sip. Hashtag (laughs) Sniff and Sip. (laughs) I immediately regretted it, but I think we'll try it, maybe? I I like it. It's like Scratch and Sniff, but more (laughs) interesting. We grew up with that, didn't we? Growing up in the 90s, um, sniff, Sniff stickers and stuff were like super cool. I kind of miss it. You don't really see that anymore. They also had those, like, stamp markers that you would stamp and they would smell like grape and stuff. It was amazing. Yes. Remember those? I do remember those. And uh, they gave me a really weird idea about what America would smell like because they were, like, (laughs) Crayola, which was, like, a super American brand and stuff. So I was trying to imagine what America would smell like. So I thought it would be, like, fake candy smells, which, you know, is not too far off the truth. Sorry, America. That's amazing. Anyway, (laughs) today I have a lavender candle because lavender... Did you know it's very good for relieving stress? And uh, we're all under a little bit of stress right now, I think. Mm, mm, and yeah. it's good to just relax with some nice lavender scents. And I have a pure green tea as well, which is also good for that. So I'm feeling very zen right now. How about mm. you, Lauren? Twinsies. I also have some green tea, um, but I'm actually burning some rose essential oil, which is super nice. Um, I definitely need the anti-stress because I have had quite a morning. I got up early after having a late night with work calls and stuff, and I was like, I am going to make waffles. So I made my partner go to the store to buy eggs because I didn't have eggs, and I was like, this is going to be so good. And I have a waffle iron, did the whole thing, tasted it. And was like, oh no, Lucy, I messed up the salt and the sugar. I know, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask if that was the case. Oh, I'm so sorry. Fuck, it was so <laughs> bad. Oh, I just tasted like disappointment and failure. It was so bad. Oh, it's really so... annoying when you're really looking forward to eating something and then it doesn't meet your expectations. You just feel like crumpling <gasps> on the ground and crying. <laughs> Seriously, it's the <laughs> meme of the person just going and lying down on the carpet. I just felt like that I was lie so down sad. try not to cry cry a lot cry a lot oh my I'm god I'm so sorry I'd taken an Instagram photo and everything I am oh, very no. ashamed <laughs> I'm so sorry that is an awful start to your morning hopefully we can make it a little bit better with this episode a hundred percent this is the silver lining as we said there's heaps going on in the world in the world of love sex and romance in games there's always news isn't there Lucy what yes. have we been talking about there is so much news, perhaps more news than any of us can handle. But you're here for the you're here in the right place for <laughs> news to do with sex and games. So uh, we've written a little bit of a bullet point list here. It's funny because the top one is steam fuckery, which I mm-hmm. think should also be a recurring segment. Um, but <laughs> what was quite interesting is that on September 11th, Steam's first uncensored adult game was released um, on the store, which. It's interesting because there's been a long contentious battle with Steam to put on adult content. So the game itself is called Negligee Love Stories. It seems to have um, both 
uh, straight and queer romances in it, and it covers a lot of different topics. I haven't looked too far into the game, but it's interesting that um, Steam has edited their filters enough now that we can put uncensored adult content on the platform. I really hope that Steam secretly has a horny games staff member. Like, I really (laughs) hope there's someone that is just, you know, like it's their job to look through the sex stuff and decide because we've talked a bit about how complicated legality of adult and pornographic content is globally Mm -hmm. just because of global um, indecency laws and all kinds of things like that. But I really hope there's a secret like horny fucky game specialist or a team of them at Steam Lucy. I just really hope that that person exists. I bet they're just going through and wishlisting every single horny game on Steam. (laughs) I really hope that's the case. Maybe we should look into that further. Mm. Um, And the other news, I think that it would be best for you to announce this because it's quite exciting. So in Melbourne, which is where I'm based, we have Melbourne International Games Week coming up at the end of October. We're super excited because Leighton Gray, um, who's one of the the co-founders of the team that produced Dream Daddy, one of the games we've covered, is going to be an opening keynote speaker at the Games Connect Asia Pacific conference, which is awesome. But that is a very expensive, big professional conference that's happening Mm -hmm. for those of us who just want something a little bit more low key, but you're interested in romancing games. Um, myself and my business partner Katie have set up a romancing games casual meetup that's at 11.30 on Monday the 22nd of October at Bell's Hotel which is in South Melbourne Um, I'll share the event page on the Twitter account and things like that if you happen to be in Melbourne at the time and you feel like just having a drink and a chat with some like-minded games folks then please come on down and then later on in that week I will have some kind of a PAX Australia talk haven't totally confirmed that yet um, or what we'll exactly be talking about, but I will also make sure that that goes on the Twitter page um, for anyone who's in town or who's going to PAX Australia. And of course, if anybody wants to meet up and have a high five, who's a fan of the show, um, come and find me. I'll print out a little picture of Lucy. We can have a little group (laughs) selfie. It'll be great. Please do. I mean, I won't be at PAX Australia this year, unfortunately, because of unforeseen circumstances, but Hopefully next year we can uh, make love games slowly take over the world and appear at more events and be more of you and just, I don't know, generally fangirl about, or fanperson about games. <laughs> fanperson, yes. Yeah. Inclusivity, Hell plus yeah. plus. I love it. So, just a reminder on format for the show, each week Lucy and I talk about a game and explore how they've handled love, romance, or sexuality in that game. We interview special guests from the industry on particular episodes as well. But we have a a standard episode uh, for this week, and Lucy, what are we going to have a talk about? I'm quite excited about this week because we've talked about a wide range of games. Like, we've talked about games on console and games on PC and iOS, uh, on OS X. And this week we're going to talk about a mobile game. And mobile is also a really big industry for romance game content. So it's kind of interesting to explore this a little bit and maybe bring light to how successful this is being right now. So this week we're going to talk about The Arcana. The Arcana? The, the, Arca- the Arcana? Um, <laughs> it's a fantasy romance visual novel for iOS and Android. And it involves you as the player. Um, you're an apprentice magician with a gift for fortune telling. Left in possession of an unusually enchanted tarot deck, you must navigate intrigue, murder, magic, 
and perhaps a few saucy encounters. <laughs> wink, wonk. Um, <laughs> the game is so the game is free to play, and uh, you can get the content in the game um, either unlocked through time gating, which is a mobile games term in which. Uh, it's hidden behind a, a waiting period, so you have to wait, say, eight hours for a key to regen so you can open another chapter. Or you can use in-app purchases uh, to access this content too if you want to speed it up. Um, what it makes the Arcana very interesting... <laughs> I can't decide whether to say the Arcana <laughs> or the Arcana. I, I change every single sentence. That's fine. Um, it's, <laughs> it's developed by a small team at Nix Hydra Games, and Lauren and I have been quite interested in Nix Hydra for a while because it is a VC-backed company led by two women. Mm. And uh, they also have a mission statement that says that they are interested in making magical, colourful and bold games that are popular with young women, which is really cool because we need um, more diverse voices leading these uh, the creation of this diverse content. So Lauren and I were like, ooh, this is, this is awesome. Mm. Um, so Nix Hydra apparently reorganised into several smaller teams, including Nix Hydra Labs, to develop experimental projects. And the Arcana has been developed almost entirely by a team of just two people who, um, on the Kickstarter, it was also Kickstarted, um, called Nikolai Ladozinski and, and Dana Rune. Mm. And they say the apps have reached about 20 million people worldwide, which is a lot. Um, the most popular apps being two pet egg games, which I haven't played, but it's interesting that they have such a diverse portfolio. Mm, mm. And yeah, the the two founders are Yale grads. They're Lena Chen and Naomi Ladozinski, and like by all checks and measures, like the company seems really cool. They're making this diverse content. The Arcana is really successful, um, and obviously their other their pet games are quite successful. Mm. But the company itself is kind of a mystery. Um, like no one I know has been able to like get in contact with them. And doing a bit of research for this episode, I did check up on their uh, website and they stopped updating their blog in like mid-2017, which is kind of sad because they had really mm. cool articles on there like talk with our game designers and here is how we developed the UI and UX for the Arcana. Um, I went to check their social channels, their Instagram was deleted and their Twitter is private locked as well. So the Arcana is still getting content, but the company seems a bit question mark to me. Mm, mm. Yeah, absolutely. I've been really curious about the company for a long time, as you mentioned, because they they raised funding, female founded, seemed to be totally smashing it in the narrative mobile romance sort of game. And then, yeah, there just seems to be this weird... Um, this weird lockdown happening for them online, but the game is still operating and still getting updates. This, a lot of this is speculation because I've tried yeah. to make contact with members of the team and haven't really been able to di directly speak to anyone, um, despite being super interested in their work. So we are just speculating, but there seems like they had a Kickstarter. Maybe some of the backers seem to be mad because there was unfulfilled backer tears. Mm. It seems like they don't respond to any negative critique or anything on social media, which of course, mm. you know, is not the best way to, to practice business. So it seems like mm. maybe the company's a bit of a hot mess, but they've managed to produce something that's really quite impressive. 
Yeah, what's really interesting is that they've uh, managed to kickstart a mobile visual novel as well. Yeah. So they had a goal of thirty thousand US dollars, and I think this was this was last year, maybe maybe before, or even twenty sixteen. Yeah, mm. and uh, one point seven thousand people pledged, I think, forty two thousand US dollars to bring the project to life. So they overfunded, which is mm. great. Um, but yeah, doing a bit of research into the radio silence of this company, I did check out the Kickstarter page and there are a couple of um, salty comments about, uh, I think especially the art book not being fulfilled mm. and stuff. Mm, mm. Um, and it just kind of uh, brings home how risky Kickstarters are and the promise of rewards and the way that that can reflect on you later on if it's not handled in a timely manner. For sure. It's a big yeah. risk. Physical um, fulfillment is so hard. Mm, exactly. Something else I wanted to add as well is that it's very unusual for a mobile visual novel to find success on Kickstarter, but mm. one that also has a free-to-play model because then the value proposition is is literally just saying, this is a cool game, you should help it exist, and that alone. But if it's free-to-play, the, the commercial value for what you're putting money into kind of has to be almost physical fulfillment. It can be very hard to kickstart something on free to play and then say by backing it we'll give you you know a special character and give you lots of currency to start with etc etc because both google and apple do make it quite hard to give particular individual players resources in game it can be done but it's quite fiddly so trying to figure out how to reward backers for a free to play project can be really hard See, I think that they found a way around that because when I was reading those Kickstarter comments, it mentioned a itch.io build where they were getting the um, content updated into it and they could access it. Uh. But a couple of people were saying that um, the itch.io build didn't have the content updated into it quickly and they were still Ooh. waiting for certain content and stuff like that. Mm. So I think that they did have like a smart solution, but mm. it obviously seems like there's a bit of disconnect between them and communication to their mm. audience. Yeah, yeah, the management may have fallen apart a little bit. Mm. Hmm. But anyway, like the game itself, um, I actually came across the Arcana without any recommendations or anything. I was just browsing Google Play Store and looking for for dating sims, as I do, because mm. again, I'm an aesthetic nerd. And um, it looked really unique and colourful and different, and I downloaded it. And I mean, I have enjoyed it. There are obviously things that I am not super fond of, which we'll get into later, but I think it's a really interesting foray into kind of a more Western approach to visual novels as well, mm. especially on mobile. I really, yeah, I thought it was quite cool. It's very classy. It's very mm. polished. I really love the art style. Mm. And I was immediately impressed because you have three romanceable characters one guy, um, one guy, one girl, one woman, um, and one character that uses he, him pronouns, but is canonically non-binary as well. And like, those are the three. And it is really cool to have like one man, one woman, and one non-binary as a three. Often you see non-binary or, or a gender diverse character only coming up for like the fifth love interest, <laughs> mm, <laughs> you know, or sure. the sixth or something. So just having those three and having them all be very, very distinct in their design and character was like very cool and definitely grabbed my attention very quickly. Yeah, we're definitely talking about this game, like, not only because it's been a success on Kickstarter and also um, with the user engagement, but it does have a very diverse cast offering. Um, it has uh, 
like many different skin tones as well, which is really nice. Mm, mm. And uh, they've got really distinct characterizations. And uh, yeah, like one thing that staggered me about the Arcana is that it has a really passionate, active fandom. Even mm. and like, what's even stranger is that this is a serialized mobile game. It's not like here is the game. Like all the content that is in it, and it's pay gated or time gated. It's we release an episode of this every now and then, and. Like, that's even stranger in the mobile space, and it's just, it baffles me, like, and I'm really impressed that they've mm. pulled this off with such a passionate community, and they're so into this, like, really strange format on this platform. It's so cool. Mm. Especially since the company and the team itself is such an enigma, I'm mm. really surprised and impressed that they have this really strong fan artist community. I think a lot of it comes from the quality and the polish of the content that they do have there, but also just the strong design aesthetic of the characters themselves. Like I've mm-hmm. seen cosplayers, I've seen lots of amazing fan art. They do just have these really distinctive designs. Um, and yeah, just very different characters and, uh, and also just, you know, the, the player character being able to select pronouns and everything as well means mm-hmm. that, you know, it, this, this game appeals to a super queer audience as well. Whereas I'd say a lot of other mobile game offerings, uh, basically canonically have, you are, uh, you're a cisgendered woman being wooed by all these men. And that's like the majority of what's on mobile. Whereas this one's like, look, all of the characters are player sexual, which we'll talk about. One of the characters is non-binary. You can be non-binary. You can choose your pronouns. And that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool, pretty pretty upfront about it as well. Mm, it's, it's interesting. And uh, they've obviously tried a lot of new things. One thing in particular, because um, I guess we're talking about why, why do we enjoy the Arcana now? Because mm. uh, it's interesting that it's a portrait game as well. Mm. Um, most visual novels on the mobile store are landscape, and this one's portrait, which I think was a really smart choice because not only is it easier to hold the phone in one hand, but <laughs> it is also um, a really good way to highlight one of their strong points, which is how good the art is and how mm. unique the characters are. Mm. It's really, really good. I do actually feel like that vertical portrait orientation in the arcana may have even had some influence back again to asian developed mobile um mobile dating sim titles because Mm. it was very distinctive that the arcana had that almost full body kind of look for the character art and then after the arcana came out we saw love and producer come out in china and that's not available outside of china but that very eastern very anime art looking game has adopted that portrait vertical orientation Mm. and also has a very full uh character art uh, orientation with the UI, which really does evoke the Arcana, which makes me wonder if the Love and Producer team also looked at the Arcana and also played that. And then that would be an example of Western transferring back to the Asian developed anime like mm. category, which is fascinating. Yeah, as an interface designer, I just think it's a really smart move. Um, not only does it play to the strengths of the platform, which is also like portrait, but mm. Like, it, the focus of dating sims are the people that you're making connections with, and to highlight that and the art is, like, it's a great idea. So mm. I really liked that. Um, what else did it do well? It, yeah, again, like, the fandom of uh, fan artists and just people that really are passionate about the game is amazing. They've got, um, I think, 14,000 followers on their, their Twitter. Wow. And um, they even had a charity zine 
which mm-hmm. is like a little self-published magazine that mm. um, was full of fan art from the Arcana and it was sold to benefit to write Love on Her Arms and the UK um, LGBT Foundation, which mm. was really cool. It's like, so cute that you say Zine. Yeah, I say zine. Zine? zine. I say zine. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know anymore. I don't know. <laughs> no, I'll I think it's poll. cute. I think it's cute. I think it's cute. Yeah, zine is better. This episode is just me <laughs> deciding to pronounce words differently every two seconds. We're trendsetters. So, it's all good. Yeah, like, it's cool that um, them putting this diverse content in their game has not only made fans passionate about it, but they also want to help out um, and use the game to... I don't know, do good for other organisations. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. It means you're doing something right. Yeah, even if the company itself is maybe a hot mess, good job community. Good yeah, job. The, the community seems really nice and mm. like obviously really into it. Yeah, again, like what it did well, the serialisation of it, as I mentioned, is quite weird for mobile. You don't come along, uh, come across a lot of uh, episodic mobile games purely because uh, user retention, keeping mm. users around, is really, really difficult on mobile. Mm. And I think for them, it's actually worked very well because it gives them a very good long tail of user retention because people mm. keep coming back when updates are happening and they keep re-engaging with the game. I think that's actually a really smart model. Mm, that's very, very cool. And we've talked a lot about the artwork, but an, an angle on the artwork conversation that I think is very interesting is, to me... The artwork and the art style is so distinctive. I don't get an ad or art from the Arcana confused with any other mobile dating VN, whereas mm-hmm. a lot of the time they kind of mishmash in my in my brain because a lot of the time the art style is quite similar. But the art direction for this is very consistent and also the character designs and even the universe is very sensual, like it's kind of dark and magical and mysterious and quite sexy um, and in quite a Western sort of a style. But it is quite like penny dreadful, dark, supernatural kind of sexy. It has a it has a sensuality to the artwork and the style and just the visuals of the world that I think is lacking from a lot of other um, mobile visual novels or mobile dating games as well. Yeah, for sure. It is very distinctive. And the artist, um, Dana, what's her name? Dana, Dana Rune, that's it. Mm. Um, it has a very distinct style and she's extremely good at what she does. Um, I think she also does all the user interface design, if mm. I read her website correctly. So, good job, Dana. Yeah, um, she's definitely contributed hugely to the game being a big success. Mm. And yeah, it's just amazing work done on that visually. Mm. Um, I think also the team has done very smart production tricks as well. Mm. What I found particularly interesting was that um, a lot of their music, like I think everything except two tracks, is CC 3.0, so it's Creative Commons. Mm. It was free music, so they didn't have to the, to pay for it because it's free for commercial use. And a, a lot of it's actually the Kevin MacLeod and Competech music, which was a really good way to save save budget. And I didn't notice it was that music until I went and checked the credits. So they've obviously thought smartly about um, what, where they wanted to focus their budget on and they have done really well filling the gaps. Mm. So the Kevin McLeod in Competech, is that like a really common free pack or something? Um, so Kevin McLeod runs a website called Incompetech and it's got mm. a lot of um, free-to-use music on it. You often mm. hear it in the background of YouTube movies oh. or um, you know low-budget movie productions yeah, like it's really common in a lot of the tracks you would probably recognize if, mm. if you played them because they're so oh. commonly used. 
So it's quite interesting that they used that, and it, like I think it was quite a smart decision. People shouldn't be afraid to use Creative Commons or um, open source assets, mm. and mm. you know if it's going to help you do your job quicker and you know just as quality and under budget, like that's a smart move. <laughs> mm, mm. I really have had a lot of interesting conversations with colleagues in the industry about music and audio for mobile. Mm. So we've had some m- mobile dating games like. Uh, like Love and Producer and like Mystic Messenger that have had heavy use of voiceovers and voice actors to bring characters to life and to really immerse people in the romantic experience, which mm-hmm. I believe the Arcana doesn't doesn't utilize VO for it. Um, but a lot of uh, a lot of us in the mobile space or on other platforms, there's a lot of opinion that maybe don't put too much budget and love into mobile audio sound and VO because a lot of the time people play on silent Um, and not with headphones in, but definitely you require it for PC, you require it for console and it can be a really important immersive part of those platforms. So as you say, you know, choosing what to put the love into for, for a title on mobile or on another platform is often a big conversation for the team to have. But quality audio and sound made bespoke for your title costs a whole lot of money and might involve royalties. Mm -hmm. So we would always suggest that if someone is doing, uh, you know, a mock-up of something or prototyping something, use some Creative Commons, use something cheap from Audio Jungle first until you really know what you want, and then make that production decision of, do I go and spend more money on this or do I have it as, uh, you know, I'm putting a lot of love and budget into something else like the art or the writing, which is obviously what the Arcana team has done. Yeah, and I've worked in mobile games for some time as well. I would definitely agree on the audio thing um, because it's such a portable device. People often play with it muted. So they, they made really good decisions. And, you know, with games, like with anything creative, you're not going to be able to 10 out of 10 every single aspect of your game. Mm. You should definitely play to your strengths. And their strengths are obviously the, the characterization and the visuals. And I think we said the same thing about um, speed dating for ghosts. Mm. And, yeah, just playing to your strengths is so good. Not every single, like, centimetre of your game needs to be seven out is, is what eight seven point eight out of ten on IGN or something yeah <laughs> just just play to your strengths and people remember it for that rather than remembering it for being like a overall like kind of mismatched experience mm, mm. yeah yeah I think people who play the arcana are like I love the art I love the diversity I really like the writing because all those things are very strong mm-hmm. but then in something like mystic messenger they'll be like I love the texting interface and I love the voiceover the voiceover mechanic with the characters mm. and that's okay it doesn't mean you need to compete with everything on everything definitely just pick a few things to be memorable on, Mem- yeah. memorable on? <laughs> <laughs> to have be memorable I guess yeah I get on my high horse about this a lot because I feel like especially smaller developers have a lot of pressure on themselves to be good at absolutely everything mm. and no one can be good at absolutely everything like it's mm. just an unfair standard to set ourselves we all have really good talents in specific areas and we can let those shine and we will make a product that people like. We don't need to be like savants in mm. every single aspect of game development. <laughs> Absolutely. And expecting that is just elitist in me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it also creates like unfair expectations of yourself and like it's just it's harmful. Mm-hmm. You're doing okay. I promise. <laughs> 
Talking about meanness, just before we move on to some limitations of the game, something for me that's very distinctive and very amusing is the way that the Arcana does a lot of their user acquisition. So Lucy and I have worked in mobile a lot. Uh, Sometimes there's a lot of jargon in mobile. The way that you develop, the way that you market, the way that you sell and monetize on mobile can be very different to other platforms. Mm. So when you have a mobile title, especially free to play, you need to get a big bucket of people into your game and you'll probably convert um, someone to a paying customer probably less than 5% of the time. If you convert 5% of your players to paying, that's a really good conversion rate, honestly. (laughs) So, you know, you need to get heaps of bums on seats for free to play to try and find the people that are like, yes, I love it. It's for me. And I'm going to make these purchases in game. And we'll talk a bit about their pricing. But the way that you do that on mobile at the moment, and it changes very quickly, is what we call mobile user acquisition. And that's generally done through ads. So all of us will have seen, you know, on Tumblr or Instagram, Facebook, Google, pre-roll ads on YouTube are ads for games. Those are user acquisition ads. They're trying to get you to click. They're trying to get you to download to try and get those, you know, bums on seats kind of approach. I think I might have seen an Instagram ad for this game, actually. I've seen lots of Instagram ads for this game. Yeah. Yeah. And they're super horny, Lucy. I know. I think the one I think the one I saw had Julian and it said, "Do you want to step on him or something?" I fucking love it. It's so good. There's <laughs> there's not too many mobile romance games that actually go into like some kinky business, but there's mm. literally ones with tentacles in them. I'm just like, whoa! Like what, for this game? <laughs> yes, for this game. What? Yes, there's one that has uh, I think it's Azra like restrained by some tentacles or something. Uh, oh my I god! Know. I have no idea. Yes. What? They... I need this picture. They get so racy. But I mean, because I'm doing a lot of work in mobile user acquisition, I'm tapping and looking at mobile ads for games all the time. Mm. So 100% all of my ad slots on every platform is just showing me ads for games. Um, And the Arcana ones look really good. They're very provocative. A lot of the time they're super kinky and more edgy than the ones for episode, the ones for choices, the ones for other romance titles. Very, very, very amusing. Um, and obviously different romance games are targeting search terms for the Arcana. So if you look up the Arcana in my iOS app store, I'm getting an ad for, I think it's the Choices mobile game as a placed ad above the result for Arcana. So obviously they're all aggressively like keyword targeting each other and stuff like that. So interesting. Yeah. Super interesting. The general, uh, the general pervasive equation for mobile game user acquisition is through the ads, you figure out what the cost per install is. So how much it's costing you to get a certain kind of player to install the game versus what we call the lifetime value, the LTV of that player when they're in the game monetizing. So we'll talk a bit about the monetization for Arcana, but their in-app purchases are very expensive. Mm. So if if a lot of people are purchasing one or more of those in-app purchases, the lifetime value on average of those players is probably quite high. So mm. they can afford to put a lot into mobile advertising as long as that CPI versus LTV the LTV being higher than CPI means you can just dump money into user acquisition. And that's how some mobile games accelerate and grow very quickly because they've worked out that equation of CPI versus LTV. Then they just go, we're off to the races, pump lots of money into it because this is the equation. This is what the analytics are saying. 
You do need to monitor your CPI because those will fluctuate a lot on different platforms, but it is a fun little experiment to see how optimizing different user acquisition gets you different results. And it seems like the Arcana started pretty standard and vanilla with their ads and then got more horny because it's getting more clicks. You mean like A-B testing? Yeah, like A-B testing and just over time because the Arcana have definitely gotten more horny with their ads over the last couple of years. Could you explain briefly what A-B testing is? Because I realise that many of our listeners may not know that. <laughs> <laughs> so as a UI UX um, wonderful brain, Lucy is probably better <laughs> at explaining A-B testing. Oh, God. But, <laughs> but A-B testing is basically like saying, um, as an example, in a mobile game that I'm working with at the moment, we have push notifications where if a player hasn't come back for a day or if there's only a day left for them to play in an event, we send a message that will pop up on their phone saying, hey, you've only got a day left to unlock Bella, something like that. We do A-B testing where we divide the population 50-50. The first 50% will get a funny a funny toned push notification. The second 50% will get a very standard kind of tone to their push message. And we do a comparison to see which one performs better in this kind of controlled scenario. It's like a scientific way of just estimating what's more effective, what's better, what are people responding to more positively. And it's basically just a data informed way to make decisions through your game development or with your game marketing or through your user acquisition. It's just a smart way of just taking a bit of guesswork out of it by setting up experiments. Yeah, I think that was a really good explanation. I don't know what you were talking about. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And A-B testing isn't something that a lot of small companies have access to either because it's quite resource intensive and it's usually quite difficult to do, but it is like that really valuable. The insights are really, really valuable. For instance, if you were putting your game on the App Store and you wanted to figure out whether one character or another character appealed to your demographic more, you could try that with A-B testing. And it's, yeah, it's really interesting. It's super interesting. And Google Play actually lets you give them three or four icon designs and Google will automatically do testing with that just to optimize and see which icon is doing the best. And you can Mm. check that, which is a definite benefit. Yeah, definite benefit. But as, as a game designer, anything you can do to test and evaluate that with randoms, like not just your developer community, not just your friends Mm. is a really good idea. We use a lot of um, Google surveys where you can just pay like, 50 US dollars to get 500 responses to a very random question. So we'll do that of like, here's the here's the game title, here's the game one-liner, which one-liner do you think suits this title more? Like we'll test all kinds of things for that. And finding cheap um, and efficient ways to do that is definitely worth doing. And yeah. in mobile, it's so much a data game. There's so much science to it. There's so much <laughs> analytics and yep. data science going on, for better or for worse. Um, <laughs> for me, I really like it because I feel like I'm very close to the players. Like I can really see what they're doing in a game. I can see what they're liking and give them more of what they like. It's not always about manipulation, but a lot of the time it's about what really um, gets my players super happy and super excited. It's not worth doing a user acquisition ad campaign where the ad really doesn't fit the game because you'll get low value players that go in, get pissed off and leave. Mm. So it is just this balancing act and it's not just about lying and it's not just about manipulation. Yeah, testing is very important, not just QA testing, but also market research, um, market testing, A-B testing. It's all really, really important. And often as a developer, 
our expectations won't match up to reality because we live in little microcosms where all these people are cheering us on and telling us all our <laughs> ideas are fantastic. It's good to it's good to check with the public whether you're on track or not. Like it's it's very smart of you to do. And I mean, in terms of mobile games, I do want to go into the limitations of this title. Mm. We've talked a little bit about their in-app purchases. Mm. I'm so interested in how profitable their game is. Again, because I'm seeing mobile user acquisition ads, it means that their CPI versus LTV must be good. Otherwise, they'd just be burning money hand over fist. But I really would would love for us to talk a little bit about those IOPs. And Lucy, you've bought them. (laughs) Yeah, I, I've bought one of them, <laughs> I think, once. Um, so for IAPs or in-app purchases on mm. mobile, they're quite expensive. And I think I read somewhere that they rebalanced them recently, but they're still really expensive. So they used to be more expensive, I think. Um, so what you get, I think the cheapest... Not the cheapest one. The cheapest one that you can actually do things with, which is 250 coins, that's about $7.49 New Zealand, which is around $5 US, which is already um, quite high for an IAP. Mm. Usually if you want to convert people um, easily the first time, because once you get someone to make a first purchase, you're much more likely to make purchases in the future. Oh boy, I've worked in mobile for a while. Um <laughs> Yeah, you want to do that and you'd often give them like a discount offer to begin with, like a first time offer where they get, say, more currency and a discount and you make them feel really good and you make them feel good about spending money. That's how you like get users used to buying in-app purchases on mobile. You make them feel good about the experience. But what's interesting about this is that you don't really feel good about the experience because mm. it's so expensive. Um, you primarily spend these coins in unlocking scenes. And I see that they've now... Because I, I played this... Uh, shortly after it came out they've now added mini games that also require coins like getting tarot readings and uh, I haven't played the heart hunter mini game Mm. but yeah like primarily um, these coins you spend them during scenes in the game to get saucier scenes or get the actual (laughs) romance content Mm. so you'll be playing through a chapter and it'll be like oh um, do you want to kiss him or do you not want to kiss him and kissing him will make you spend you know 150 200 coins that's like $7.50 New Zealand. That's like the price of, I don't know, five hash browns at McDonald's or something. Um, <laughs> so good. So much. Yeah, and uh, what you're paying for usually only lasts a few screens of dialogue and you might get an image as well. And it's just so expensive comparatively to other visual novels um, dealing with romance content in mobile. Mm. For instance, Voltage, you can usually buy a 14 to 15 chapter game for about $5 New Zealand. Mm. Um, And it just seems like extortionately expensive for, you know, $7.50 to be for a couple of scenes. And yeah, just the whole way that the purchases work and um, the extreme time gating on the unlocks. So for instance... If you want to unlock a new chapter, you've got keys to do this with, and you mm-hmm. get one key every eight hours. So it's going to be 24 hours before you can play another round. And I I can kind of see why they might do that to get people to, to come back each day, which again is a user retention metric. You want people to return to your app like daily to get a good user retention metric, but it's extremely slow, and it also has the potential to drive users away. So I was really kind of horrified by how expensive everything was. Yeah, it's super difficult. Like, I'm not sure if maybe their IAPs aren't adjusted for for currency value fluctuations because, 
as on the developer side, it can vary a little bit, but you can uh, you can say, okay, my base currency is the US, but the US exchange rate is very high versus New Zealand and Australia. So I will tier their pricing lower mm. so that with the exchange rate, it's still profitable, like it's still feasible. Um, it seems like maybe they don't um, do that artificial adjustment. You do mm. see a lot of other games like Clash of Clans, for example, what you and I would pay for Clash of Clans by Supercell has been adjusted down a lot to try and monetize Russian players mm. because their currency is worth a lot less. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for cost of living, it gets adjusted. Looking at the revenue on Sensor Tower for the Arcana, it's estimated they had maybe 20,000 global downloads in August, but they made like 100,000 US in that month. So it seems like, I know, it seems like it's making very healthy revenue for not being a mega huge 100 person plus game. Seems like it's doing really well, but it looks like that revenue is like, it looks like over 70, 73 or 75% of the revenue is just coming from the US, a Mm. bit from Australia, a bit from Italy, a bit from Canada, a bit from Great Britain. Um, but yeah, it looks like maybe that US currency isn't adjusted because usually you would see Canada take up more of the chunk. You would see, um, I think it's localized to French and German and they're not really coming in on that major revenue sources either, I think. So Mm. yeah, I'm very confused about whether they've actually adjusted those IAPs. Australia is coming up a lot and it looks like they're targeting Australia a lot because, Generally, Australians do spend a lot on IAPs and are super valuable. New Zealand's not coming up on the list, but you do have a really small population, so they yeah. might also roll it into Australia. <laughs> That's quite weird. They also have a mechanic um, called the spin wheel where you can spin the wheel once a day and you have the potential of getting 5, 10, or 20, or 1,000 coins. Mm. I've spun it, like, so many times, and all I do is, like, keep getting trinkets which stack, and I don't get anything for them. And you can't do anything with 5, 10, or 20 (laughs) coins anyway. There is nothing you can do with that. Mm. It's just... The value proposition of the purchase is so disparate to to what you get. Like, Mm. I'm I'm really intrigued, because, like, the game is quality, but um, what you're paying for is just, like, it's disproportionate Mm. to what you receive. If I was in control of their monetization, I would probably offer a really cheap starter pack that's mm, just like a dollar ninety nine or something just to break that seal of making a purchase. Yep, and then maybe exactly. the rest of them are a bit more expensive. But like two ninety nine, three ninety nine, like to try and get people on this serialization train. Um, so I am really surprised that this is working for them. But, Mm. you know, I assume they're looking at it. I assume it's working again because of this CPI versus LTV kind of a thing. Mm. But, yeah, super interesting. And just as a note, you know, I talked a little bit about Australia and New Zealand costing a lot to acquire as a user. If I was using Unity ads and saying to Unity ads, I want to acquire New Zealand or Australian players, you generally have to pay something like $4.50 US for that guaranteed install. So, yeah, so as a consumer, we are worth a lot of money. So somehow they must have something on the back end saying, oh, yeah, this is this is definitely working for them. But on the flip side, on using Facebook ads or Google ads, you can get a, a cost per install of like $2 or under if you're very good at ads. And mm. it seems like maybe they are very good at ads. So maybe that's how they're getting the players. But the monetization just seems off. Uh, it's quite weird. Yeah. Yeah. They've got lots of positive reviews, but the main criticism of the poor, the poor reviews is definitely about the monetization. This is too expensive, blah, blah, blah. 
There are so many ways I could see to make you feel better about purchasing. Like, one mm. would be the first-time offer that you mentioned. Um, and also, it feels really bad to be presented with, you know, romance content that you can't pay for with in-game currency. And mm. it feels bad to skip that. It's just a really negative user experience. If you were able to, say, pay 250 coins to unlock all the secret scenes in this chapter or something, mm. that would mm. be much better because you're not immediately presented with this, um, hey, you've got to pay this now or you're not going to be able to get this scene. You're going to mm. maybe not feel good enough to actually convert that into a purchase now. Mm, so, mm. anyway, we've talked about mobile user acquisition <laughs> and monetization quite a lot this episode, because that's a specialty, I think. Um, but there's a couple of other limitations that we should quickly cover before we come to the end of the episode. Mm. Um, one is, like, the interesting hawk sexual problem we've talked about, hawk being the <laughs> Dragon Age 2 hawk um, from Bioware, and it kind of comes in when you're trying to maximize um, the demographic of your content where everybody is bi, bisexual or pansexual, which means like no matter what the player, what gender the player is, the um, other people will be interested in them. It definitely is an issue, and it's arguable that it's still a you know they're they're kind of doing their best, and they do only have these mm. three romanceable characters, but it definitely is tricky, and I would want to mm-hmm. see more character preferences come into play if they had more characters in it I'm kind of willing to give them a free pass just because they only have the three and I think pronoun selection with non-binary options and they then pronouns kind of wins out in terms of importance but it's definitely a limitation and we've chatted a bunch about player sexual it's always good to bring up like player sexual uh, player sexual love interests because it is quite common and um, it can be limiting. Obviously, there are caveats like it's a small company and they have a limited budget, which always play into these development decisions. But it's always good to like just keep a note of it. Mm, definitely. And we've talked about the company themselves being a bit of an enigma and a little bit hard to get a hold of. And there's some disappointed Kickstarter backers there. So in terms of the customer service side of things, beyond just the monetization, it seems like maybe the promise is unfulfilled and maybe the community management is maybe falling down a little bit there. Mm. Whereas I see very active customer support for other titles like Lobstruck and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's quite interesting from a community management standpoint. Like, obviously, if you're going to release an episodic game, you'd want to build like a really good um, confident mm. and you know active community which they have on their um, game page but it's just it feels really strange to see that their um, their company twitter is locked and things like that mm. just mm. raises more questions <laughs> it absolutely does <laughs> and as much as those three romanceable characters Azra, Nadia and it's Julian isn't it Yep. Yeah, yeah. They're all they're all gorgeous. They're all quite diverse in terms of their presentation, skin tone, gender, stuff like that, which is great. But then they're still all like conventionally attractive, super slender, and there isn't much body diversity um, in mm-hmm. the game itself, which is definitely worth noting. Whereas with other exciting games like Boyfriend Dungeon, we've seen a lot of body diversity and there's lovely, chubby, larger characters to love as well, which is really refreshing. I'm so excited for Boyfriend Dungeon. I'm so excited. (laughs) And we have to get Tanya from Kit Fox that are making that game on the show because she is just, she's fantastic. I love talking to her so much. And yeah, Boyfriend Dungeon is a very exciting upcoming title. Our listeners have probably heard about it. They've probably backed the Kickstarter. But if not, Google Boyfriend Dungeon and your day will be made. 
It's very, very cool. And if we got Tanya on, that would certainly be a party a party episode, I think. Hell yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Well, I think that we're just about out of time for this episode. It's been good getting back on the saddle, in the saddle, around the saddle with you all. <laughs> and uh, we look forward to seeing you again in two weeks with another episode of Love Games. If you want to contact us, you can email us at love, lovegamescast at gmail.com or use the hashtag lovegamescast on Twitter. Or you can tweet at us at lovegamescast. What a surprise. Wow. <laughs> awesome. And if you want to have even more fun with us, Lucy has been doing a lot of streaming lately, which I am, I'm not au fait with the, with the Twitch. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I have been having fun hanging out in the chat. We talk about Love Games Cast stuff sometimes. Lucy is very entertaining as a streamer. So, you know, come, make sure you follow Lucy, hop into the streams and try and teach me how Twitch works because I don't know. Yeah, it's been quite fun getting back into that. But yeah, I wish they would let us play content like Lady Killer in a Bind on stream. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. Maybe (laughs) one day. Anyway, have a great rest of your day wherever you are, listeners. And we'll catch you later. Bye, friends. Bye, beans.